In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Every time we celebrate the Holy Mass, after the Our Father, the priest prays, Deliver us, Lord, we beseech you from every evil and grant us peace in our day so that by the help of your mercy we might be ever free from sin and protected from all anxiety as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in a way that encapsulates the the season of Advent, it encapsulates and summarizes the season of hope, hope precisely in the coming of our Lord. And so in our prayer, we can tell our Lord that we look forward to his coming. We await with joyful hope, biatum spem in Latin, it's very beautiful, the blessed hope, the joyful hope, the happy hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Advent is truly a time for hope, and hope is something that we need always, but perhaps especially when times are a little bit more difficult. And if we look in the Bible, we see examples of true hope. Examples, Lord, where people trust and expect you to help them. And I think that's a good working definition of hope. That is helpful for our daily life, for our prayer life. To expect good things from God. To expect good things from our Lord. There's a wonderful series of events in the Gospel of Matthew where we see people live this practical hope, live this expectation that that Jesus will help them. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. This is a great example of hope, a great example of faith which is turned into practical trust. My daughter has died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. This man expects our Lord's intervention. He expects our Lord's goodness to to be effective in his life. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. This woman, in this desperate situation, where she's been suffering from hemorrhages of one sort or another, this internal bleeding for 12 years, makes this great act of trust, this great act of practical hope. If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. In doing this, she has the same logic as that father. 
but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Lord, they both have this confidence that contact with you, contact with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will end up in something very good. That contact with our Lord can't but redound unto their good, can't but bring them some good effect. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laugh at our Lord, they laugh at you, Lord Jesus, because they know the difference between sleep and death. Perhaps they've seen that the girl is now stiff. Perhaps they felt her skin and realized that she's cold to the touch, very clear that she has stopped breathing. And so they know that she's dead, and so they laugh at your calling death sleep. They laugh at your assessment of the situation. But our Lord is more powerful than death, and to him, death is just sleep. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. And so this is the virtue of hope. This is the virtue of trusting that God wants our good, trusting that eventually God will bring about our good if we continue to trust him, if we continue to put our hope in in him precisely. This conviction that Christ will help. This conviction, Lord, that nearness to you will have a good effect. And we need to be careful here. In English, the word hope can be a pretty weak word. Sometimes we say, you know, do you think this will happen? Well, I hope so. And so when we say that, it's kind of like, well, 50-50 at best. Right? It might happen, it may not, but I kind of wish it will happen. Even worse, we say in English, well, there's still hope. Which means, well, most likely this thing's going to be a total disaster and it's going to fail. But there's a slight chance that with some sort of miracle, freak occurrence, it'll come out in our favor. And the hope that the hope that the church has, the hope that we see in the Bible, is much stronger than that. The Latin word for hope, spay, is connected with the Latin word expecto. Expecto expectare which means to expect, to anticipate, in a certain sense to know that the good thing is going to come about. Our hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Hope is very powerful because it's based on God, and God is all-powerful, God is real, God is on our side. God wants to help us, He wants to purify us. God doesn't change, He always wants to make us holy, He always wants to make us more apostolic, he always is willing to give us what we truly need. And so our hope is in him and in in his goodwill and in his power and not in ourselves or the world. There's another wonderful line from the Psalms, Credo videre bona domini in terra vivencium. I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living a great formulation of hope. I believe that I shall see 
the gifts of God, the good things of God in the land of the, of the living. Hope, however, Lord, is a challenge. Hope entails a lag between the expectation of something good and its arrival. Hope entails this kind of lag or this, this waiting time between the promise of help, the promise of something good, and its arrival or its manifestation. And this is what Advent is. We're awaiting the coming of the Christ child. We're awaiting the coming of our Savior. But we expect it to happen. And in our life, when there's this lag between God's promise and and the manifestation of it or the fulfillment of it, we have to practice hope by perseverance. We have to practice hope precisely by patience. Psalm 26, perhaps especially in the Latin, is very helpful here. It says, Expect the dominum et viriliter age. Wait for the Lord. Expect the Lord. Hope in the Lord. And act manfully. We could say, wait for the Lord and act bravely. Wait for, wait for the Lord and act courageously. Viriliter age. And so in that gap between what we expect, what we what we want to happen, our confidence that God will help us, and the manifestation of his help, the evidence of it, the appearance of it, we have to be brave. We have to keep acting with this confidence that, yes, God will help us, and yes, God will make this come to a good end. St. Josemaria liked to use the phrase, vali la pena, right? Which basically means it's worth it, it's worthwhile. Because we have hope that God will save us, because we have hope that heaven will be ours if we keep doing what we can to correspond to God's plan, to correspond to his grace. Vali la pena, right? It's worth the effort, it's worth the suffering of this life to get to, to get to heaven. The letter to the Hebrews has a, has a nice passage on this, which which um, makes the same point, this connection between perseverance or endurance and expecting good things from God. We read there in the letter to the Hebrews, For you need endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and so are saved. And so he draws the connection here, this having to wait for our promise, having to wait for the reward of our faith, but, but at the same time, expecting him to come in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. And so there's this contrast here, right, between, between having faith and being steadfast in our goodwill, being steadfast in our trust in God, and shrinking back, right, which is, which is a way of saying that we, we lose courage, we lose confidence, we, 
close in on our, and we close in on ourselves. We hedge our bets. We try to make our Christian commitment a little bit more comfortable, or we try to take a certain providence over our own affairs, not letting God in because because we lack trust in Him. Trying to take care of ourselves in a bad way, in a small-hearted way, in a fearful way. Saint Faustina, who received so many lights, so many special graces from God, recorded in her diary of divine mercy in my soul, received this message from Jesus. My child, know that the greatest obstacles to holiness are discouragement and an exaggerated anxiety. These will deprive you of the ability to practice virtue. All temptations united together should not disturb your interior peace, not even momentarily. Oversensitiveness and discouragement are the fruits of self-love. Have confidence, my child. Do not lose heart in coming for pardon, for I am always ready to forgive you. As often as you beg for it, you glorify my mercy. And I think that's helpful, and I think perhaps in our own experience, Lord, we see how true this is. That there are these two enemies of holiness, these two enemies of generosity, of a, of a greater trust in you. Anxiety and frustration. And they both manifest a lack of hope, a lack of kind of a practical trust in God's help. Of course, we're all we're going to come across things that make us nervous or anxious, worried in this world. Perhaps at times more acutely than others. But if we maintain our hope in God, maintain that he has a plan, maintain that he will manifest his his help in an effective way, in a sensible way, whenever we need it, then we will never be crushed, we'll never be totally overwhelmed by anxiety. It will keep us going forward, it'll keep us trying to do God's will, it'll keep us moving in the right direction, praying and trying to help others. And discouragement. Discouragement is that that feeling of frustration when we let our problems or our worries or failures, we let them convince us that nothing's going to get better, that this problem is intractable or insoluble, and we give up. We give in to that lack of courage, that discouragement. And really, this, too, is a lack of hope. It's a lack of practical faith, practical trust in God. And what we're saying there is almost blasphemous. It's, it's, it's very dangerous. When we give in to discouragement, when we throw up our hands, we're basically saying, well, God can't handle this problem. Even God can't help me now. And that's blasphemous. It's heretical. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. God can do all things. And when we apply it to ourselves, it's it's a funny, strange, hidden, but a very specific kind of pride. We think, well, my defects are so bad. My defects are so powerful that not even God can fix them. Not even God can heal them. 
I'm so off track that not even God can help me. Which is ridiculous, right? Compared to God's power, our defects are like nothing. And if we, and if he wants us to keep struggling against them, it's part of his plan for us. It helps us grow in humility, perhaps, or patience, or it helps us to exercise this, precisely this hope, this perseverance in a time of, of a gap between what we think God will give us, what we trust God will give us, and the actual giving of it. And so, Lord, give me a greater faith in you, a greater trust in you. Help me to see where discouragement and an exaggerated anxiety are keeping me from a trust-filled life, from giving myself, from growing in virtue. If you come and lay your hand on her, she will live. If I touch but the tassel of his cloak, I will be made well. If you come, Lord, and lay your hand on me, on my soul, on that particular problem or set of problems in my life that I think are intractable, are insoluble, well, Lord, I too will live. And if I but touch the tassel of your cloak, Lord, I too believe that I will be healed, I will be, I will be helped. Lord Jesus, help us to have that reaction of St. Paul. St. Paul was going through some particularly painful and humiliating trial, some particularly painful and humiliating defect. He called it a thorn in his side, put there by Satan. And he says, he, he, he describes how he asked God for three times to take that trial away from him. And then he cries out, well, who will save me from this body of death? Who, who will save me from this problem? And Jesus responds to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And that's so important for us to realize that the same is true for us. There's enough grace to live our lives with faith. There's enough grace to give ourselves to others and to God in charity. There's enough grace to have a prayer life. My grace is sufficient for you. We see this generosity of God in giving his grace in the prologue of St. John's Gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we we have this image here of you, Lord, as being full of grace. But we, But from your fullness, we receive the fullness of our Lord because of his love for us, because of his generosity. His being full of grace overflows into us. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so there's a sense here that the grace isn't just enough, but that it's abundant. It's more than enough. My grace is sufficient for you. From his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. 
sometimes when we we have dinner or lunch in a group, right, the host might be worried whether or not he or she made enough. And the guests might get a little bit nervous, right? Am I taking too much? Should I put some food back? Is there enough chicken for, <laughs> is there enough chicken for everyone or, or, or whatever? And in the Gospel of John, we read, For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God. He does not ration his gift of the Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given everything over to him. And so sometimes when food is tight in a certain situation, we have to we have to ration it, right? Don't take too much. This is one for you and one for you and one for you. And you can't have seconds until everyone has eaten because maybe there's not enough to go around. We have to ration scarce goods to make sure there's enough for everyone. And the, and the Holy Spirit tells us in the Gospel of John, he does not ration his gift of the Spirit. It's not like there's just enough for you and then just enough for me and just enough for this third person. There's more than enough. There's more than enough. We receive, Lord, from you grace upon grace. The Father loves the Son and has given everything over to him. In the words of the father of the of the prodigal son to his elder son in that parable of our Lord's, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. And St. Paul has that great confidence of all the good things that will come with Christ. He who did not spare his son, but gave him to us, will he not give us all things with him? Will he not give us all things with Christ? All the things precisely that we need to live this new life that, that, that he's given us to live. And so Lord, help me help each one of us to have more hope, to have more confidence, to have this practical trust in you, to expect things from you, to expect good things from you, and better even than I could expect. Credo videre bona domini intervencium. I believe I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. Lord, if you come and lay your hand on her, she will live. If I only touch the tassel of your cloak, I shall be made well. St. John of the Cross has a wonderful and very powerful saying about hope. He says, God gives according to the measure of our hope, which is, which is wonderfully comforting and really should make us daring. God gives according to the measure of our hope. So the more we trust him to give us good things, the more we expect good things from him, the more he actually gives us. But we have to make sure that we're asking in the right way, that we're expecting the right things. Our Lord also says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. What does that mean? Well, it means the virtue of hope also has to be a kind of a shaping of our desire. That we have to learn how to want what God wants. We have to learn how to trust him even with 
what will truly make us happy, what's truly good for us. He knows better than we do what's truly good for us. He loves us more than we love ourselves. The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines hope in this way. Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. So the Catechism reminds us that hope is not just a matter of expecting the good things that that we happen to want or expecting the good things that that we think are, are, are good for us from God. No, hope is also a shaping of our desire. Hope is the virtue by which we desire God, heaven, the kingdom of God as our happiness. And in order to reach that, in order to reach our true good, we put our trust in Christ's help. We put our trust in God's grace and not in ourselves. And so hope has this dimension of forming our desires, Lord, because many times what I want is not truly what's good for me. And perhaps even what I ask you for, what I pray for, Lord, is not truly what is good for me. And I have to, I have to, in a certain sense, educate my desires, educate my will and trust to start to, to will only what's truly good for me and to expect from God only what I truly need for my salvation, for my holiness, to be a better son of his. That's what our Lord always wants to give us. He's always ready to give us whatever we need to be holier, whatever we need to be more faithful, whatever we need to love more. And many times that's not what we want. We want want something else. We expect something else. And so that's where we have to... to, uh, go through processes and times of purification, purification of our heart, purification of our desires, the purification of our trust in God, so that we can come to have one heart with him, to love what he loves, and to ask for what he truly wants to give us. And that's part of the deep meaning of what John of the Cross says, right? God gives according to the measure of our hope, And so he gives according to the measure of our trust in him, but also according to the measure in which our desires are matched up with his desires. Our hopes in the sense of what we hope to be and what we hope to achieve are in line with his plan for us. We go to Our Lady. Christians often refer to Our Lady as our hope our hope, a seed of wisdom. And she's our hope because she brings Christ with her. She's our hope because she's the vessel of our salvation, bringing our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ into the world. She's our hope because she always brings him to us and she brings us to him. And so just like we expect good things from God when we trust Him, if you lay your hand on her, she will live. If I just touch 
the tassel of your cloak, Lord. I will be healed. We do the same with Our Lady. We do something analogous with Our Lady. We have this great trust in her power, in the power of her intercession before God, and in her care for us, that she is truly our mother. She is truly our merciful mother. And so we go to her and we ask her to increase our hope as Christmas approaches. Help us to help this to be a true time of hope, a time in which we await with joyful hope the coming of our Savior, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.